Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is not true. Uh, Now, on one hand, it is a good statement of aspiration. It's not a bad thing to determine to not be hurt by words. It's not a bad thing to determine to be less easily offended by what others say. That's true. But, still it's true, words can hurt a lot. As Christians, how should we think about our words? Our, 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 our words out there in the world? Our words with one another? Our words online? Or perhaps I should do this. What would God have frame our thinking? And what would God have transform our speaking? Well, to this question and to every question in life, praise God. God's word is refreshingly clear and simple. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Exodus, second book of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus. If you're new to looking at Bibles, when I say 20, that's the chapter numbers. It's big and bold. And when I say 16, that's the verse numbers. It's not big and bold. We've got Bibles there in front of you in the pews. Uh, You can borrow one of those if you'd like. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says this. In our series of the Ten Commandments, we're on the ninth, and it says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So let's look at this context. Let's think about how Christ fulfills this, and then let's think about us. What's the big idea with this commandment? Honesty. Honesty is the big idea. Calvin says, quote, Since God who is truth abhors a lie, we must practice truth without deceit towards one another, end quote. Now, addressed most directly is honesty in the courtroom. This, this command has a, has a legal setting in mind. To bear false witness is to lie in a court of law. And just think about how important this was in the ancient world. So witnesses are everything. There's no DNA testing in the ancient world. There's no video cameras in the ancient world. There's no IP addresses that geeks can trace back to certain users in the ancient world. There are only eyewitnesses. There are only eyewitnesses whose testimony either liberates or condemns. And so you can see why this is so important Do not bear false witness. If you do, justice is miscarried. A similar text to the ninth commandment is Exodus 23, 1 and 2. In fact, commentators agree this actually fleshes out the ninth commandment. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. Now, another way you could bear false witness, and maybe you don't think about this, is if you know something, and you should say something, but you don't. Leviticus 5.1, If anyone sins in that he hears a public call to testify, and though he is a witness, yet he does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. 
So I'm just sharing these texts with you so that you get this idea. That this is addressing a courtroom setting. And honestly, in a courtroom setting, this honesty is so important. This is why God says, there are these things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Zechariah 8.16. But the courtroom isn't the only place where God cares about honesty. He cares about honesty in the covenant community as a whole. So he cares about it in the courtroom. And he cares about it in the covenant community as a whole. So I was reading the proverb of the day yesterday. That's a habit that I pick up every now and again. So reading a proverb a day. Yesterday was the sixth. So I read the sixth proverb. And verse 16 says this. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So out of seven things that the Lord hates, the proverb says, three of them have to do with our words. Three, a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. What are some of the sins of the tongue that God's people in any age, by the way, can be tempted to. Let's just think about that. I think you clearly get the idea of in a court of law, you need to be honest and not bear false witness. But just in the covenant community amongst God's people, and otherwise, by the way, what are some sins of the tongue that God's people in every age can be tempted to? How about twisting words? So we all know how to retell a story or recount an interaction we had in such a way where, where we come off looking good and somebody else comes off looking not so good, right? This isn't something we have to try hard to do. This is something we actually have to try hard not to do. <laughs> it is, it's, just, it's just natural for us to do this. As we tell a story, we emphasize certain things. We, we leave out certain things. We, we summarize long conversations, emphasizing the parts that are favorable to us, such that the person listening thinks, well, man, it just sounds like you did everything just right. You can't help it if they... This is what the world calls spin, right? You put a spin on it. Twisting words is a temptation. It's a temptation in any age. Twisting words... Gossip is a temptation. I came across what I think this week is a really helpful de definition of gossip as I was preparing for this sermon. So what's gossip? Gossip is bearing bad news behind someone's back with a bad heart. I think that's a really helpful way to think about it. It's bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. So just let's think about the three pieces. It's bad news. It's either bad information, so info that we don't take the time to verify, so maybe it's not even true. Or it's bad news about someone. And maybe you've heard that if it's true, it's not gossip. But needlessly sharing something true about someone can still be gossip. Just because someone did something wrong doesn't mean we, that, we, that we need to or that we get to. 
talk to others about it. So gossip is bad news. And it's bad news behind someone's back. Gossip, by definition, occurs when the subject of the news isn't around to clarify, to defend, or to object. It's shared behind their back. And it's shared with a bad heart. It comes from ugly motivations inside of us. What motivations might be at play when you gossip? Well, maybe self-righteousness. It can feel good to share bad news about somebody else because it, it, it frankly lifts us up a notch. Anybody feel me? At least in our mind? Maybe it's some type of ill will. Maybe you're mad at somebody. Maybe you want others to sympathize with you and to be mad right alongside with you at X. Maybe it's just a sinful interest in the affairs of others. The Bible calls this being a busybody. Or maybe it's a desire to be connected connected and close with others. It is really strange how juicy morsels of information create a sort of intimacy between those who are in the know. You know what I'm talking about? So gossip is a temptation. Slander is a temptation. Slander is the twin sister of gossip. They look a lot alike. It has all the elements of gossip But the differentiating factor seems to be that while gossip is passing along what may not be true or is true but doesn't need to be shared, slander is passing along what is definitely not true, what is deliberately false, and what damages the reputation of others. By the way, one commentator wisely points out that connected to gossip and slander is assuming the worst about others' motives or intentions and not giving them the benefit of the doubt. This happens all the time. Oh, she didn't talk to me because she's really mad at me. Or, oh, oh, he didn't say hi to me because he doesn't like me. When you find yourself doing this, or when you find yourself saying this, or when you find someone saying this to you, just ask yourself, am I bearing true witness to my brother or sister? You shall not bear false witness. Am I bearing true witness against my, towards my brother or sister? Or am I passing along things that may not be true and may hurt their reputation? That's gossip and slander. And these two sins are so dangerous. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs eighteen twenty one. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 16, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 26, 28. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your peoples. Leviticus nineteen sixteen. By the way, just to step back, a couple of pastoral thoughts for you. So if you're in a conversation and it seems like what's being shared may be gossip or may be slander, brother or sister, you should just speak up, okay? I know that takes courage, but you should just speak up. And it looks like this. Hey, so I'm not sure if we should be talking about this. Or, hey, you know, I'm not sure about this. I think maybe it might be that you don't have all the facts, Or, hey, honestly, you know, it sounds to me like you're bothered by this person. 
are you talking to me because you'd like me to help you how to think about it in order that you might go to the other person and take care of it? If so, it might be wise for us to talk. If not, I, I think it might be wise for us to not talk. Does that make sense? So you, just like in a court, uh, what, what, what was said earlier was that Honestly, if you were silent at certain times, that was bearing false witness. So too, brothers and sisters, if you think you're in a conversation where gossip and slander may be taking place, you have an obligation to, to say something. Just those small things can help with the brakes on our tendency. And it is a human tendency. It is a tendency in my heart. It is a tendency in your heart. It is a tendency in all of our hearts to gossip and slander. That's why we see so many exhortations against it throughout the Bible, because we are given to this. And just asking these questions can help put the brakes on our tendencies to do that. So God wants honesty. That's, that's really the, the context of the command, the essence of the command. He wants honesty in the courtroom, and he wants honesty in the covenant community. Now, why does he want that honesty? First and foremost, because God is true. That's why he wants his people to speak what is true. Because he is true. Listen, honesty is incumbent upon us because God himself, he never, ever, ever, ever is untrue or lies or false in any way. And pause for just a second to think about just how incredible this is. Don't you find yourself in your daily life oftering, often, oftering, really, often wondering about the trustworthiness or the intentions of sources? So you hear a report on the news, who wonders if it's being told accurately or if it's got spin? You don't have to raise your hand, it would pretty much be everybody, unless you're under a rock. You read a certain statistic, you wonder if the research is being if the research behind the stat is legit. You're told to follow the science, but it, it, it seems that science, like everything in our day, has become politicized, and so you're not sure what's behind the statement. Isn't it awesome to know that that is never the case with our God? He is true. His word is true. In him, there is no mixed motivation. There is no spin. There is no shade of lies. Just pure, wonderful, bright light. Your testimonies are wonderful, the psalmist says. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. Psalm 119, 130. Amen. So first of all, God wants honesty amongst his people because he is honest. And then second, God wants honesty because dishonesty is so costly. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver and gold. So dishonesty in court costs somebody tremendously. A false witness can turn an innocent man into a guilty man. His good name, gone. And dishonesty in daily life can do the same. Gossip and slander and twisting of words. These things, what do they do? They chip away at the good name 
of our brothers and sisters. Kevin DeYoung captures it really, really well. Listen to this quote. He says, Most of us could recover more quickly if we lost our home, our cars, or our bank accounts than if we lost our good name. If you lose your stuff, people feel sorry for you and rally around you. But if you lose your good name and reputation, nobody wants to touch you. A good name can take a lifetime to build and a single afternoon to lose, end quote. And how much more in the age of the internet and social media, right? So how incumbent is it upon us to be honesty, le- honest lest we damage the reputation of our brothers and sisters? All of this God wants to protect against in the ninth commandment. He wants Israel and the church to be a place of honesty where he is represented well and his people dwell together in harmony. But unfortunately, Israel's history is a history of breaking this command. They break it from from the top. One particularly heinous account of violating the ninth command comes from King Ahab in 1 Kings 21. He wanted Naboth's vineyard So he comes to Naboth, this is the king, and he says, sell me your vineyard. Naboth did not want to sell him his vineyard. He went home, he sulked. His wife Jezebel came up with a plan. Let's have a feast. Let's put Naboth at the center. And at just the right time, a man on his left and on his right bore false witness against him. Naboth cursed God and the king. Two witnesses. Naboth was put to death according to the law. And Ahab went along with the whole thing. But it's not just Israel's kings that broke the command. The prophet Isaiah says this characterizes the behavior of Israel as a whole. Listen to Isaiah 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ears dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning your back from following our God. Speaking oppression and result and revolt. Conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. This is what characterizes the whole nation. This is part of the reason God judged them, sent them into exile, because they took the ninth commandment and they trampled on it. They took, they took the ninth commandment and they trampled on it like they trampled on all others. They, they took God's word and they said, meh, who cares? And perhaps the most flagrant disobedience to this command is found in their treatment of Christ himself. You remember how Israel sought to crucify Christ? Matthew 16, 59. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at last two came forward. Unbelievable, right? The Lord of life and Israel seeks false testimony to put him to death Unbelievable! And this then brings us to an important theological point. 
Israel, as God's covenant partner, did not keep his law. You're like, you know what? By the time we've gotten to the ninth commandment, BJ, I get that. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you get it. As you read your Bible, the whole movement of it from Genesis onward is a series of covenants that God makes with his people. From Adam to Noah to Abraham to Israel. And the big question as you read is, will there ever be a faithful covenant partner? Will there ever be one who loves and trusts and obeys God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will there ever be one who who keeps the commands? Jesus. Jesus will. And as he does, he fulfills the ninth command and all of the commands. And he fulfills it by his lips and he fulfills it by his life. Think about this. Never a word came out of his mouth that was untrue or false or misleading or gossip or slander or twisting words. As the Father speaks what is true, so too does the Son. As the entrance of the Father's word brings light, so too does the Son's. And his life was true as well. Not only did he say what was true, he lived what was true. He manifested the obedience and the blessing of the law to see and to hear. Jesus was to be near the complete package, one who spoke rightly and one who lived rightly. And this is why people hung on his every word. People in every age have longed for the truth. We are wired to know, to want to know what is real and what is right. And so when Jesus spoke, people listened. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Matthew seven twenty eight. And think about what he spoke that was true. He spoke peace to the broken who came to him in faith. He spoke acceptance to the wayward who came to him in faith. He spoke freedom to those enslaved to sin who came to him in faith. He spoke hard things too to those who rejected him, to those who would not turn from their sin, to the hard-hearted, to the wayward. Now, to all of these people, believe it or not, he still held out mercy. But he also threatened ultimate judgment if they persisted in these things. And all of his words are true. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. John 14. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, John 3. Just ask yourself, especially if you're here and you're not sure where you stand with Christ, do you want to be forgiven? Do you want for your conscience to be cleansed? 
Do you want to be accepted by the creator of the universe? If you do, then hear the news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel with fresh ears. Jesus came to obey the ninth commandment and all the other commandments. He came to obey them, he came to fulfill them, and he was successful. In him, all of these commandments have been kept to the very core And in him, God has found a faithful covenant partner. And here's how this connects to you. The good news of the gospel is twofold. Everyone who comes to Jesus by faith, everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him, two things happen. Number one, his death pays the price for your sin. He takes the punishment of the law upon himself And the resurrection proves that that sacrifice was accepted. So, number one, his death pays the price for your sin. And number two, his righteous life is credited to your account with God. When God looks at you, he sees a law keeper. He sees one who may rightfully enter his courts in heaven. He sees one who does not bear false witness. How? Because Jesus' command-keeping life has been credited to your account. That is freaking unbelievable. And it is true. It's not a fiction. It's not made up. It's not a lie. It is true true. Could there be anything more wonderful? There is one who has come, who has obeyed God fully, who has obeyed the ninth commandment and all the others, and he has taken the punishment that we deserve, and he has given us a righteousness, not our own incredible. And it is available to you. And you can take it by faith. You can believe the promise of the gospel that this is yours and you can be forgiven. That's the primary thing I want for you to hear this morning. If you're unsure, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, and actually Christian, that's the primary thing I want you to hear this morning too, is to know and be reminded I am forgiven through Jesus Christ's actions and through my faith in him, the one who is true speaks a word of forgiveness to me. I am accepted. That's incredible. But I do also want to say that as a Christian, as those clothed in Christ's righteousness, we are not then just exempted and freed to live however we may so choose, free to bear false witness, Jesus inaugurated the new covenant and what he articulates for us is that the principles embedded in the Ten Commandments are still applicable under the new covenant of which we are a part. Listen to his words in Matthew chapter 5. Again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, or to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, it's the ninth commandment, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The bottom line, according to Jesus, is the same bottom line, according to Moses. Honesty. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this is evil. Be a people characterized by honesty. Now, some think that this means that we cannot take any oaths, say, in a court of law or otherwise. I actually don't think that's what this says. He is making a point and stating in an exaggerated way the reality of the point he's trying to make, which is be honest. And, of course, we see even Paul himself in the New Testament taking, as it were, an oath. Multiple times he speaks and testifies. And so I I don't think this means you cannot take an oath. I think this means that we are to be honest. All of the same things in the Old Testament as it relates to honesty with our speech apply. Gossip. Slander, twisting of words, flattery, lying. All of these things are out of bounds for the Christian. God wants for us to be a people who display his character and for us to be a people who protect our brothers' and sisters' reputation. He wants for us to not go about as those who damage one another by the things that we say. But more than that, more than just not doing damage, God actually wants us, positively speaking, to build one another up. Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Brothers and sisters, when you are speaking, are you thinking, what, what can I say that would be edifying to my brothers and sisters? What can I speak? What word can I speak that would be a gracious word that would encourage them, that would exhort them, that would build them up in their faith? I not only want to not do harm, I, positively speaking, want to do good. Let us not speak anything other than that which is good for building up as fits the occasion. So all of the same things apply. Moreover, not only should we not do bad towards one another, we should seek to build one another up and finally I want us to just briefly reflect on the reality that as we think about what we should do with our words, brothers and sisters, we should be true witnesses to the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Let us be true witnesses to the truth. Speaking to his disciples after his resurrection, it's promised, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, true enough, that's spoken to the apostles, eyewitnesses who saw him. And they were witnesses in a special and particular sense. But that is true of all Christians in a sense as well. We are witnesses to the things that we have seen and understood and come to believe the truth of the resurrection. Let us be true witnesses in our day with our neighbors, with our friends, so that 
the gospel might continue to go forward. Peter says to us, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. God is true. May we be true. May we live lives of truth with both our actions and our words. May we build one another up and may we speak in such a way as to where we are a winsome and accurate witness to Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and risen. This is how we should think about these words for us, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We thank you for your word and we ask that you would continue to build us up and give us an inheritance among those who are sanctified through it. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for Jesus. And we ask all of these things in his name. Amen. Amen. And we come together to the table, brothers and sisters, to remember what God has done for us in the gospel to remember this good news. We eat of the bread and drink of the cup by way of remembrance, the bread representing the body of Christ, the the cup representing the blood of Christ. These things are not the very body and blood of Christ. These things represent the body and blood of Christ. And by eating and drinking, we are representing our faith in him. And so, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been baptized according to the Lord's command, then I invite you to come forward and receive. Take both the bread and the cup and then circle back to your seats and then hold on to your portion and we'll eat them together at the end. Now, if that doesn't describe you, we just ask that you keep your seats. No one will think the less of you. So why don't you come?